This episode of Converge with my guest, Jake Jorgovin, is sponsored by Fast Track Creative. For more information, check out FastTrackCreative.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. Welcome everyone to Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. If you're unfamiliar with the show, we have a chance here to get in conversation with folks who concern themselves with the concentric circles of business and creativity. When I say concern themselves, I mean commit to it. I mean go all in with it. And today's guest is no exception. Jake Jorgovin will have a chance to speak for himself, but he has lived an extraordinary existence at a very young age. He's been willing to not only have vision for where he wants to go, but be willing to do radical things to get there. And as you get to know Jake, I hope that you consider how his choices might reflect on your own and how you might make new choices because of it. I believe that that is one of the most powerful and freeing things you can have in life is the ability to have complete control over your future, your time, and your destiny. I'm Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. So, Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on here, Dane. I'm curious if you could share a story that maybe captures a little bit of your circumstances. A lot of folks don't know your narrative and how you got to where you're at, but we're not just having a conversation between two folks between, you know, LA and Albuquerque here. Um, there's a lot going on in your life. So how, how the heck did you find yourself in the space you're in right now? Uh, yeah. So right now I'm down in uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, uh, working remotely from my computer. And uh, this kind of came about after uh, quite a bit of time and thinking about it. But when I was really young, I was about 19, I started a video production company, and we produced a lot of videos for musical artists, corporate events, and everything, and I did that for quite a few years, and I absolutely loved doing creative work. And eventually, I kind of got hooked into this idea that I was an entrepreneur and was going to go do some really big, scalable company, and left my company after about four and a half years of building it went on and worked with this investor on a healthcare product and went in this completely polar opposite direction, kind of in pursuit of the American dream and running, you know, an investment backed startup. And after doing that for a while, I, I, I just realized that wasn't what I wanted. I, I was miserable from leaving the creative field. I quit writing. I quit making art or doing anything that I loved. And I, I just realized I'd completely gone in the wrong direction. And uh, amidst all of this, I started just reading about the idea of remote working and how you could live from your computer and travel the world. Just started kind of diving into these resources. And eventually, I just ended it with this, this healthcare application that it was just not at all what I wanted. Built a, a simple web design agency for myself to move down to Mexico. So I could just work remotely, uh, live just a couple blocks from the beach, and live a simple time. And just build websites and work remotely from my computer and write and blog on a regular basis. So what I'm hearing you say is that to get the American dream to happen, you had to move to Mexico. 
Is that right? <laughs> I guess that is true. Yeah, I uh, I guess that I realized is I, the the idea of the American dream and buying the house and the car and getting more and more stuff wasn't wasn't really what I wanted anymore. What I really wanted was to to travel the world and live an incredible life and not wait till I retired to do that. Right. Now, what I'm hearing in your in your voice, it sounds like you're channeling uh, your inner Tim Ferriss right now, and I'm I'm curious what. <laughs> Who were some of the folks that had influence on this set of decisions? Yeah, so um, the the four hour work week was definitely the first book that kind of set my mind off into this idea, and from there, everything from Chris Gillibo to uh, there's another podcast called Tropical MBA that I started listening to, and a handful of just other writers and online resources that I just came to love. Uh, Hobo CEO was another one that I I just kind of dove into and. Probably for about six months, I just immersed myself into all of these resources, kept thinking about it, and then eventually just had to dive in and make the move. Now, are you single? Uh, no. So uh, my girlfriend's actually down here with me. So we're both working, living down here and working remotely. So it's, it's great. Got it. No kids yet? Uh, no, not yet. Right. <laughs> I'm curious, how, how is your family? These are questions that I'm asking because I know listeners are going, I'd like to live in Puerto Vallarta by a beach. And they're asking themselves, how in the world is this even possible? So I'm curious if you could share a little bit about, like, how does family at home think about this? Do you get back to the U.S.? Do they have your name at the border and they won't let you back? Um, <laughs> do you know the drug cartel and are they your friends? You know, these kinds of questions are what people are asking, especially if they just finished an episode of Breaking Bad last night. Tell us a little, <laughs> tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so I mean, it definitely did the research to figure out, you know, what are the safer, better areas to to live and work in and whatnot. Um, and the family, they always have their own perceptions of it. You know, they come from a, a different generation, so the idea of leaving the United States is completely crazy to them. Um, but it really isn't that bad. It's really enjoyable down here. I absolutely love it, and it's the the place we picked as safe as can be. So I couldn't could not be happier with the decision. So I want to get back to this whole American dream thing. What I'm hearing as you're talking about it is really a fight between two different dreams. I mean, there it sounds like there was your parents' generation, their American dream, and what seems to be emerging over and over again in conversation because of, you know, Tim Ferriss's efforts with, you know, identifying the new rich and inviting a different way of relating with the world and a relating with the dream. And of course, if you're listening from this from another country, this isn't just the American dream. Maybe it's the Western dream, or maybe it's the, just the idea that you could have liberty or freedom in a unique way. Talk a little bit about how you see the differences, maybe generationally, or maybe you want to categorize it differently. How, how do you see the American dream changing? Yeah, I, I just think that uh, a lot of older generations was all about just working and building up your assets and buying a house, buying a new car, and just trying to build up the bank account uh, so that you could someday retire and go and travel the world or do the things that you always enjoyed with your time. You know, I think Tim writes about this in his books, and I think that it's just a concept that's starting to emerge more and more, but the idea that you can just live for right now and be happy in the moment right now. Um, and instead of building, constantly taking every moment to try to build more income and more um, assets and wealth into your life, you can get by at a good level that you're happy at, but then enjoy life in the moment. You know, For me, the ability to work remotely is giving me that freedom to go travel the world and, and do what I want. 
And it's given me the ability to do that now and not, you know, once I retire later in life. You know, another person that you mentioned on the, on the, uh, on the front end of this conversation was Chris Gillibo. And Chris has been on our show before. He's mm -hmm. a friend and, and uh, someone I admire. I, I'm a, a novice travel hacker. Uh, have been working my tail off with, uh, you know, responsible credit card acquisition and, and points mm -hmm. acquisition. I just got two more yesterday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, figuring out clever ways to get my monthly spends. And by the way, in the show notes, we'll, if you're curious what all this is about, you can check out travelhacking.org uh, and we'll give you some links to all that stuff. But Chris has been someone who really looks at, at this idea of defining a path for themselves that's not predetermined by other people uh, in a little different flavor than I think Tim does. It seems like well, I'll just say it this way. When I read Tim Ferriss and was inspired by it to do a number of projects, I found myself thinking, oh, well, that's fine, but I have four kids. Like, that doesn't actually work for real people. And then I thought of, but with Chris, his tone shifted a little bit. And, you know, his phrase, whether he said it or he, he got it from someone else, the idea that, you know, you actually can have it all, you just can't have it all at once. And to make a series of potentially hard choices to get in front of, opportunity. Other people that have influenced that in my mind are folks like Amit Gupta at Photo Jojo and a number of other entrepreneurs, most all of them influenced by guys like Seth Godin. Talk a little bit about tweaking it further. So it's one thing to paint in broad strokes this kind of uh, enjoy the moment kind of American dream. But candidly, if there's guys like me on the other end of this microphone, they're kind of rolling their eyes at you right now. They're saying, really? Come on, man. Like, <laughs> I have four kids that need to get to college someday. Like, so for me to enjoy the moment is fine, but I also need to have some sensitivity to a future reality that if I don't make choices now, I won't be in a position later to do anything about it. Yeah. So I, I think in some senses, you know, I, I don't have the family and kids that some people do. So it's, it is hard for me to to speak exactly on that point. But there are entrepreneurs out there like Brandon Pierce, uh, who is traveling the world and has a successful uh, software product that he built online. And he's traveling the world with his wife and his two kids. So he literally just lives in countries. He homeschools his kids and has his online income building, making a great income for himself. Uh, so it, it just seeing out examples like that lets you know that it, it, it is possible to do. And with that, while I say that I'm not necessarily focused on trying to, you know, build up huge assets or anything right now, or I'm not as focused on the huge, you know, scalable startup that I once was, uh, I'm still focused every week on writing and blogging and building up my personal and online brand because I want to get to the point where I'm writing books and I want to get to the point where I'm publishing on a regular basis and eventually let that become my income and scale that up and build influence that way. So mm. beyond, beyond the web design, which is providing my stable income now, I, I am still working on other things that are going to give me more long-term platform and long-term ability for uh, income growth. Yeah. And long-term long freedom. It doesn't sound like it's about income growth for you. It sounds like it's more about creating the space for you to have options in the future. But you, I mean, I don't even hear you even framing it as, as money. It's not about asset acquisition. It's about, I mean, maybe virtual asset acquisition. Uh, it sounds a little different. Yeah, it's um, it's more so just uh, for me what I what I knew know that I absolutely love and what my ultimate goal and everything that I'm trying to do is I want to get to a point where I have a platform where 
I am inspiring the thoughts of you know thousands, if not millions of people through whatever that is, writing or publishing or anything along those lines. And uh, everything that I'm doing right now, the lifestyle I'm living right now, and the, the income I'm building myself with the web design agency is all giving me the ability to do that. Well, talk a little bit about your work itself, the what of it. When other folks, again, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener. And if they're wondering, gosh, what is an agency? What, you know, the agency could, a, that's a huge ecosystem uh, of possibility. And, you know, web is certainly a, a, a growing side of it. I was in a conversation with a dear friend yesterday who used to be a full service agency. And now he's just, he's really a software company and not just, you know, building websites, but building, you know, serious apps that weren't even, you know, thoughts two years ago like they weren't even possible to go build. And mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about the what of your creative work, because I think the beginning of all this, it started with you being discouraged with the kind of labor you were doing day in, day out. And now, now you're still doing labor, a certain kind of labor, but how is it uniquely creative, the work you're doing? So what, uh, what I'm really doing uh, on a regular basis, the, the what of my doing that provides my income and my ability to work remotely is uh, a web design agency. And I essentially, whenever the, my last, uh, the, the technology application was going under, I was in a spot where I needed something to provide an income for my life. So I went out and I learned HTML, CSS, WordPress, and just started building websites, finding clients and helping them get a site up and going off the ground. And so what I'm doing is not um, extremely high-end work. It's not custom building sites from scratch, but in a matter of a few months, just taught myself these skills and uh, started getting work. And that's been able to provide the income that allows me to live down here and work remotely. Got it. So would you recommend a similar path for people who are getting in the game right now? I mean, to to learn HTML and CSS now, it, it kind of feels like people are a little beyond beyond that, uh, especially if you can hire someone overseas to do a lot of that kind of work for, for a lot less expensive than it would cost you to do yours, even in Mexico. Uh, and then the other side of that question is, well, I guess the better question is, if someone wanted to go and do likewise, where would they go start? Would they Would they join the big crew of people who are trying to learn how to code day every year? Or would they jump on a Linda account? And if they did, what would they go learn? What What would you recommend? I, I wrote about this a bit as for someone, anyone that's really wanting to go work remotely and travel around. Uh, it's a pretty simple formula of just learning a skill, then figuring out how to get hired for that skill, and then just moving somewhere awesome. And that's kind of essentially the formula that I worked on with say, this. Say it again. So it's learning a skill. Learning a skill, and then figuring out how to get hired for that skill remotely. And then just work moving somewhere awesome. And that's a pretty simple formula on how to just work remotely and travel the world. So so built into there is, well, a couple assumptions. One, you need to know what skill it is you need to go learn. Mm -hmm. Then you need to know, well, this whole how to get hired for that skill. Well, first of all, what I love about what you're saying is this notion that it's skill-based. You know, skill is the new black. And whether it be... You know, Josh Kaufman talking about trying to figure out your first 20 hours to learn anything or Malcolm Gladwell saying you need 10,000 hours to be a master at anything. What I'm hearing you say is getting crystal clear on the skill and owning it, like having dominion over it is a big deal. 
And that's that sounds like it's a bit of a moving target. So is it enough for me to say, okay, I want to go build websites? Is that the skill I need to go learn? Or do I have to drill down deeper to get clarity? Uh, I think when you when you start off, you know, you, you pick a broad area to go toward. You know, you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to perfect yourself in at the, at the get-go. You, you pick an area that you can make a living in in some sense and you start learning that skill. And over time, you can simply narrow that down. You can perfect it, figure out what you like because at the beginning you might pick something and after doing it a handful of projects, you realize it's just not what you want, but at least you tried and figured it out. And in the trying, I'm guessing there's a, another kind of new virtual asset that people are measuring, which is, you know, learning. There's, you know, why, why learn at college when I could go try it on my own? And then, mm-hmm. uh, as I discover what I'm have an aptitude for, or what I have a preference for, then begin leveraging that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, some sites like lynda.com at times I think have been almost more valuable than my college education, uh, because those simple little software subscriptions that I did to learn, um, everything from audio to video and web production, those have provided most of my postgraduate income is through those skills. Talk a little bit about the need for liking what you're doing. And, and, and again, a little bit more context to my question. You know, five years ago, uh, and still there's plenty of lore online on this, people are, you know, shouting from the rooftops this existential cry of, you know, find your passion and follow it wherever it takes you. And now, uh, increasingly, I'm hearing the alternative voice, which is saying like, nah, passion is a little overrated. Uh, you actually get passionate once you master something. And it might be more wise to pick something that you have an aptitude for or you like, but don't love. <laughs> don't love it so much that it might take you down a rabbit trail. And this actually relates to the other half of the conversation here at Converge, which is, okay, great. So you found a, a skill that you like and you want to apply it in a way, it's the second part of your step, how to, how to get hired, how to make money from, from this skill set. Um, how important is passion relative to viability? I believe passion is very much important to it, and I learned this the hard way. Uh, like I said, when I was 19 years old, I started a video production company, and I ran that for about four and a half years. And through that, I got tainted somewhat with success and had this idea that I was an entrepreneur and that what I really liked was just building businesses. So I went on and I tried to start this healthcare application with an investor and ultimately it failed because I wasn't passionate about it. I couldn't sit there in conversations with healthcare people on a day-to-day basis and be happy with it. I couldn't brainstorm and sit there and think about healthcare and enjoy it. Uh, But at the same time, I do believe the passion conversation can be overrated because it's not realistic that you're going to love absolutely every moment of everything you do in life. Uh, Todd Henry talks about this in Die Empty, uh, which you interviewed him on a past episode as well. And, and he talks about that it's, you know, well, you're, you're passionate about the end goal. You're not passionate about every moment of the work you're doing. It's about the objective you're trying to achieve. And sometimes it's going to be painful or you're going to suffer toward that. But if it's getting you toward where you want to go, then that's really what passion is about. I love that. I mean, and, you know, thanks for taking a nod to Todd there, because uh, <laughs> he's certainly someone who, for me, reframed passionate. And uh, and I think there's just a lot of confusion about what, what that means for folks. They, they treat it more kind of closer to the 
top of the skin and not so much on a deep level. And I'm guessing as we're applying that idea to your context, the idea of having a healthcare, what was it, a healthcare, healthcare system? Uh, it's basically like a healthcare software app that I thought I was going to run and just realized I, I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't care about it at all. So it was kind of a SaaS product. And Sure. And yeah. so a software as a service product, what I love about those models, again, from the business side is it's subscription revenue streams that can build to something significant over time. So it wasn't enough in your mind that you had a product that had the potential to make a boatload of cash. It was also, gosh, I'm building a system to help people charge for healthcare. <laughs> yeah, it just, it wasn't exciting to me and I just didn't enjoy it. What I really found was a better balance for me in that is that what I, what I do know that I'm passionate about and what I love is inspiring the thoughts of people, writing content, producing content that creates positive change in people's lives. And I also like designing websites. I don't by any means love designing them, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I can go in, create websites for clients and make my living doing that because it gives me the cash and the flexibility to travel the world and write and start to build up my blog and everything I'm doing. And so it's a, it's a much better balance because it's something that I like to do. It's something I'm in complete control of, and it gives me that ability to work toward what I'm really passionate about, which is my writing. So if folks are at home and they're thinking, great, what if I could do this? And uh, let me paint a scenario. I want to give a, a picture of a potential person listening, maybe a couple pictures. So person one is, let's, let's call that the, uh, the budding Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, it's somebody who either dropped out of college or finished college, but somehow it has some degree of independence and flexibility and they're listening right now. And let's say you could do it all over again and you're them. Uh, would you take the same path or would you maybe go to Buenos Aires or would you go, <laughs> you know, how, what, what, what would be, uh, if you could wave a magic wand for this guy, we'll call him, uh, we'll call him Tim. What would you tell Tim to go do? I mean, my recommendations to someone that's in that young path starting off is to just, uh, figure out a way to just build an income that you are completely in control of, that you don't have to worry about business partners. You don't have to worry about investors. You don't have to worry about a boss. Even if that's just a freelance income or that's a business you own, I believe that that is one of the most powerful and freeing things you can have in life is the ability to have complete control over your future, your time, and your destiny. And that, for me, starting that business when I was 19 years old in school, that gave me that ability to do that. And I, I strongly just recommend anyone that's young and in that situation to just go out and try it because it's something you'll never regret. Okay, so if, if for Tim, for example, he decides, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to control my own destiny. You know, let's say Tim isn't exactly like you. He's in your position. But, mm -hmm. but let's say Tim is actually, uh, it's unfortunately I'm using the word Tim because I thought now of Tim Ferriss, but we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> um, let's say this particular Tim, who's not Tim Ferriss, let's say he has less uh, risk. Uh, he's less comfortable with risk. And the idea that, gosh, somebody else carrying the, the load of a burden of risk is high, or the idea of it is attractive. And he's thinking, gosh, well, I could go get a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, be, be an entrepreneur. Uh, I could go get a job 
you know, someplace else where someone else is taking all the risk and I'm a, an employee under their, and, and it could, I'm being, I don't want to be cynical, like not just a, a corporate gig, but it could be something cool. Like some startup is happening, but they want to be an employee in that startup where they're getting a guaranteed check as opposed to uh, they're taking on all the risk. I think that there's something that Todd Henry talks about again, where he, in the book, Die Empty, about shadow pursuits. When he talks about people that go and they work closely to what they're passionate about, but never really wanted to take on that full risk. So someone that wants to be an entrepreneur may just go work for an entrepreneur, or someone that wants to be an artist may settle for being a work-for-hire graphic designer. And I don't think that's a bad place to start for someone. If you don't want to take on that risk, you can go work closely in the field that you want to get into and learn from someone experienced and then eventually take that jump once you're more susceptible and more in a better position to take that risk. Got it. So let's move on from Tim. What about Sally and uh, Frederico? And Sally and Frederico, they had all these ambitions to go do the kind of life you're describing, but Sally's pregnant. And they're not sure what is... In fact, she's actually transitioned from... She used to be this globetrotting, travel-hacking entrepreneur, but now she wants to nest and uh, she's less inclined toward the American dream now. What, what, how would you guide, what, what do they call them? Sally and Frederico. <laughs> what, what would you tell them? I've, I've even have friends in this situation, and it's, it's a very tough thing because I, I see the struggles that they go in in, in that situation and, because it, and it becomes a lot harder to make the jumps or do something like what we're doing. So Is, I, is that I, primarily about disagreement, like they're just not on the same page that they were before? I, I think... Part of it comes down to, you know, with, with any relationship, two people have to make a decision to go in the same direction together. And once you add the complexities of a child into that, that makes that decision even harder because you have to take into effect taking care of them and how that will affect for them. So that's, it just becomes a much harder conversation, and I, I do believe it becomes much more difficult. But it's, even if you don't, you know, globetrot and travel the world, you can still live a, an incredible life or build a way to control your own destiny. Yeah, and, th and that's a big chunk of it, isn't it? I mean, it's when people are hearing this maybe for the first time, they might be making up in their head that it's this really audacious kind of life when in reality it's like, let's, let's just not go crazy. Just go. <laughs> I have some friends I was visiting with yesterday from Nashville. They were out here on the West Coast, and they thought, why don't we just move out here for like two or three months, you know, get a winter rental. And in a sense, they are doing the very same thing you're doing. It's just setting up a life where that's possible first. And, mm -hmm. and step two is actually doing it. Is it, yeah, it, it. So it doesn't have to be this ridiculous, you know, travel existence. I think that's some of the challenge with reading guys like Tim Ferriss is like, do I have to learn how to tango? Do I really have to move <laughs> to Argentina? Is that where I have to go? <laughs> and, and, and that you're not, you're saying like, no, there's a lot of, there's a spectrum of possibility where people could choose their own adventure. Yeah, it, and it's not, like you said, it's not always as crazy. I mean, we come down here and we tend to go on adventures on weekends, go travel to little side towns, go swimming on the beach and whatnot, but it's not like every single day we're just backpacking through the jungle and we don't have any sort of, you know, first-rate living at all. You know, it's, we've, it's not as crazy as it seems. We're just simply doing our similar life, but we're in a much different environment that surrounds us. So, so last example. Someone has already established their parents' American dream. 
their families working fine. This is this is <laughs> this is me projecting into this interview. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm saddled with a monthly commitment that's significant. I have four kids that are in school. My wife and I we we have a we we have a great relationship. We live in this you know Tammy's sister lives across the street from us. We have a great little lifestyle where we're at. How can you kind of I don't want to call it kind of I guess it's life life design, I guess is the category we're talking about here. How can you micro life design from that position where you have a home base, but you really want to do kind of your weekend warrior version of what you're describing? How would you, how would you advise someone like that? And by the way, Jake and I've already had this conversation in case any of you are wondering a little bit. And this is something that for me, I am excited to hear your answer, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of this third category. I actually think that's the biggest band of people who could hear this and be given an invitation to go do something just a little new that might open up possibility. I know I've experienced this possibility that before they, there was none. So talk a little bit about the, the established grounded somebody else's American dream. And they just want to dip their toe in a new kind of freedom. With that sense, I mean, I believe that if you can build your life or your career where you can work remotely, even if you have the family and kids and everything, you could still, you know, travel every summer while they're gone or while they're out of school and spend three months out of your year travel and just renting abroad somewhere. Uh, so you could still do that. Or if you want to homeschool, you could still travel or go move somewhere different and homeschool your kids as well. So it's it's definitely feasible and if it just comes down to you know how do you build that income uh where you can work remotely and then how do you build that lifestyle uh and i i i don't have the family and kids and everything sure i'm so i imagine it's sometimes much harder financially to afford all that and it's also harder to convince the wife and the kids and all the other things that are coming up right. but i i don't think it's unrealistic i think it's just something that in some sense it takes sacrifice on everyone's part to make it work. But if it is something that everyone desires, then I think it's definitely very feasible. So it sounds as we're, as we're talking through this, you know, we started with the funnel uh, of, you know, a single person making a choice and the complexity of adding another person or maybe another two human beings. Now you have multiple human beings. A lot of it comes down to that conversation, doesn't it? That, a willingness to first to have a vision for where you want to go, but also to have those kinds of maybe scary conversations of, I want to interrupt our lifestyle to see if there might be something a little bit more interesting without giving up the relationship. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's ever an easy decision. I mean, even coming down here for me and my girlfriend, it was a struggle uh, to think of leaving our life back in Nashville, leaving our friends, leaving our family behind and coming down here. But at the end of the day, once we got down here, we love it. So it's, uh, but it's always that scary when it's off in the distance and you haven't fully committed to it yet. But once you, once you make the move, it's something you'll never, you'll never regret. Hmm. Well, project forward. So, you know, some people are going to hear this interview, um, you know, months, maybe even years down the line. And they're going to think in their mind, gosh, Jake and his girlfriend, they're still happy in Mexico doing their thing. And, you know, you're forever kind of locked into this, this new reality. Uh, and this speaks actually to, you know, the evolution of, of, of your own life. As you project forward, do you see yourself doing this long haul or does this feel more like a seasonal thing to orient your life this way? Yeah. So, from here, for the next year, we're probably going to spend in world travel. Uh, I think we're looking at going to 
Southeast Asia or South America or somewhere not even certain yet. Uh, and then, you know, after about a year of this, we'll, we'll probably set up a home base somewhere. Not sure exactly where that'll be, but settle down a bit, um, have a little bit of time back in the States, see family, see friends. But I, I, I don't think that I'll ever, will ever stop traveling. I think once you make the shift and you do something like this, it's something that you're always going to want to keep doing in some form or fashion for the rest of your life. So, Jake, where can people find you online? Uh, so I blog regularly at jake-jorgovin.com. So it's J-A-K-E-J-O-R-G-O-V-A-N.com. Awesome. And are you on the Twitter? I am on Twitter, just at Jake Jorgovin. Fantastic. Thanks, man. This was episode 013 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. FastTrackCreative.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our Better Together creativity community, and a ton of other resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. And a special thanks to Jake Jorgovin for being with us. Visit his blog and artwork initiatives at Jake-Jorgovin.com. As usual, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us to places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a big deal, and we are grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time.